Welcome back to the Passive Road to Retirement podcast. We are your hosts, Andrew Jarrett and Nick Cooper. Today, we're joined by Corey Peterson. As the owner of Kahuna Investments, Corey strives to provide his investors with stable cash flow returns and long-term capital appreciation by buying multifamily apartments. Corey has managed and acquired over $230 million in real estate across the country. He is the best-selling author of Copy Your Way to Success, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, and Why the Rich Get Richer. He's also the host of the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. He speaks around the country on this subject, including at Harvard and NASDAQ. Corey is frequently featured on Fox, CBS, ABC, and NBC affiliates. Corey, great to have you here. Man, so excited to be on your guys' show. Um, looking forward to it. Absolutely. No, this is great. So my, I guess kind of dive right into it. I've heard that you have a a Bruce Wayne type of story that kind of got you going here. If you can kind of tell us the readers or the listeners that. Yeah. So when I first started in real estate, I was a used car salesman, right? Like that guy smoking, joking, um, <laughs> just the worst kind of guy. You know, I had big hopes and big dreams, but I just didn't quite have the vision yet. And and that was about 20, 23 years ago is really when my life uh, changed forever. My mom was married to a man. His name was Bruce. I call him Bruce Wayne. Okay? <laughs> he wasn't Batman, but he had a lot of money. Um, and he had a home right on in uh, on Hawaii on the beach. And uh, my mom, uh, thankfully, invited me and my girlfriend, now my wife of 20 plus years, um, to go. And so we get to the islands. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Like this this house on the beach was awesome. It was amazing. And I never seen wealth or money like that. And so I was I just was like, man, I got to what Bruce, what do you do? And then he said the magic words. He said that he owned apartments and that he was in real estate. And so I left the island thinking that Bruce was the big kahuna. Like <laughs> he had it going on. And um, and so about six months after that trip, I read the book, the little purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Bruce. Because Bruce was self-made, too. And uh, that's when I got the download from the mothership, right? I knew at that moment, I was like, if Bruce can do it, I can do it too. And so I went on a journey in 2005. I was like, what do I call? You know, I was like, I was ready. I read all the books I could. I was ready to move into real estate. And I was like, what do I call my company? And all I could think about was, I want to be the big kahuna, big kahuna. So I called my company Kahuna Investments, right? Because I wanted to be the big kahuna just like Bruce was. And so uh, that's been almost, what, 17 years now, um, and now we own um, far more houses than Bruce ever did. I don't have that house in Hawaii yet, <laughs> but um, I started off in single family, fix and flip, wholesaling, mm -hmm. um, then fix and flip. And then the one skill set I got really good at was raising private capital. And, and I found that that's the one thing that has set me up for the, the rest of what I do now, because that skill set of raising capital is what has allowed me to buy much bigger assets um, that have, that actually have more stability and predictability as well. And so, uh, yeah, so I bought a, I bought my first apartment in 2011. I bought it for $3.2 million and I raised uh, $1.4 million of uh, private equity. And then we kept that property for five years and then we sold it for like 8.8 .8 million. So um, it's been a great success story. 
Now I'll do the math on that one to have that type of returns. So what that was your first one. Did you go in? What'd you do with the the capital you got from that that sale? We actually took that and 1031 exchanged it into another deal that I actually still own. So uh, I bought a property called Eagles Village. I bought it for 12.7 million, um, put 4.7 million dollars, I think, down on it. And um we still own it. So we're maybe gonna exit at the end of this year and we might sell that for 20 million, 22 million. So, um, again, a decent, and we've made cash flow along the way. So it's, uh, another good exit, right? So, um, the beauty of the, uh, of the real estate of the apartment game, I think is that in real estate, you have actually a lot more control, which was, um, I say I was a used car salesman, but along the way I was, I was a financial advisor for there for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I, and I would love to share that story because that that's the real story. I think that, um, a lot of people can relate to is the roller coaster right, of the stock market. Oh, yeah. I guess what I like to hear about too. Is like we're not in the stock market either, so yeah, yeah. please share <laughs> the roller coaster. So um, when I first started, I started real estate in two thousand five, um, and I did my first two. I, I took a home equity line of credit out of my home, right, and I had like thirty thousand dollars, and I did some fix and flips, um, and successfully. And then I bought like three properties to buy and hold. And I put all my money into each three properties. And then I was out of money. Mm -hmm. I was out of money and I quit my job. And um, so I couldn't get any more loans. I couldn't do any more business. And so I was kind of forced to go back to work. Luckily, my my wife was uh, had friends with a guy that was a financial advisor. And I was like, hey, listen, how do you get that job? You know, because I'm looking for one right now. And he's like, well, you just got to pass the test. Right. I'm like, Okay. I'm not great at school, but I'll work really hard to pass one test. So uh, I become, uh, I got it on with Edward Jones um, out of St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, if anybody knows about anything about Edward Jones, they're kind of like the middle of the road, the, the, the middleman uh, type of financial advisory firm. But uh, I studied really hard um, for almost three and a half months that they paid me to study. And I made a 73. Okay, you got to make a 70 to pass. So 73, I studied just hard enough. Right. Um, and so, but they gave me, um, you know, a series seven, 66, I could sell insurance, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, the whole gambit. Right. Okay. Now that was in 2005. So I had, so I put my, I, I put my real estate kind of on hold. I was doing it kind of part-time. And for, at that moment I put it on hold because I was kind of doing my real estate or uh, the Edward Jones thing, the financial advisor, thing and so five six seven eight you know four decent years built started getting some traction and then 2009 hits right and that's my friend is when i realized so let me tell you all the dirty secrets okay yeah. here's the things that i know about the roller coaster right and i and it really is a roller coaster it's up and down and most people want to get off that thing because it's scary as hell um it's the only place where they call them a broker for a reason because they're usually broker than the people that they take money from. Yep. Right. You know, it's like, it's the only place where millionaires come and get advice from someone making $70,000 a year. I'm like, listen, I should be asking you for advice. Yeah. Right. But Edward Jones gives me all the smart words to say in these, you know, uh, investment fund of America. It's got 74 years of history. And basically I just learned how to sell from a brochure and talk about the talking points. And now you should invest your money today. I'll put you in a balanced portfolio. And so 
here's the dirty secret though they're all mainly commission based right mm -hmm. i got paid on the more i i got into the house the more i made and now it's changed a little bit edward jones was really what's called a share driven which is an upload cost front loaded uh share class mm -hmm. um but now there's managed money and and all that uh the all those services are based on asset center management right and so the thing with the financial services industry is they do not want the money to ever leave the house right mm -hmm. and so with that it comes the, the projection of what is an average return for most investors and i'll tell you as a financial advisor that number is between six and eight percent that's what you tell everybody if you can get a balanced portfolio get six to eight percent you're winning you're hitting the jackpot now in real estate if I tell that to real estate people, they think that you're out of your ever-loving mind, <laughs> right? Why would I ever do a deal like that? But, and think about it, there's trillions and trillions of dollars in the roller coaster that, that are pre-positioned to thinking six to eight's a winner. 12 is awesome, but it's also risky, right? 12 is risky, six to eight safe. And so that's, that's the component that they're working on. And then when, when financial advisors get together, do you think that they really talk about my client's best interest? They don't, guys. All they talk about is assets owner management. How much commission did I make? Like, it, it's it's disgusting, the conversations that go behind the back of the scenes. I got really disenfranchised with it. Now, then the market crashes, okay? And I'm telling you, guys, Andrew, Nick, I had grown, I mean, 65-plus grown-ups coming into my office. There was this couple with that retired from Intel, about $3 million of assets, right, that I had put in a balanced portfolio for them, both retired from Intel. They come into my office after the crash, and the wife is, like, sobbing. She's just so just distraught. And this and the man looks like the thousand yard stare. I'm telling you. And the question, man, the question is, am I going to run out of money? Hmm. And the answer is yes. Yeah. If you continue to you have to drastically change your position and what you're doing to live the life you want. Hmm. And I'm telling you, those conversations crushed me, man. Yeah. And to make it to add injury to insult, move our money, Corey, get it all out, get it all out. Guess what? There's a fee. I had to charge him a fee. Edward Jones don't let you move money unless it, someone's getting paid. So you got to charge him. And I'm telling you, my heart left the business, dude. My heart just left it because I realized at that point, even though I was like, I'm watching your portfolio. I'm like every good financial advisor says, but it's the market guys and they can't control it. I had no control over it. So when my heart left, my cells left guys and uh, I'm proud to say, or maybe not proud. I don't know, but I got fired from that job. One day I had a meeting with my managers and um, let's just say it didn't go well. Actually, I show up into the office at eight o'clock and my secretary can't look at me. And I know at that point, dude, it's on. I'm like, I got a meeting at 10. I'm not coming out of this thing. And 
but I will tell you something that happened really cool. In the middle of that chaos, I knew I'm getting canned. I'm, and I've never been fired. Like, that's a weird feeling to know that that's going to happen. And I remember locking myself in my office. And that is when I made the most gut-wrenching. I'm telling you everything that I am commitment to myself. That I was, I knew what I wanted to do. Like that little kid that knew, like I knew, I knew it was real estate. I knew that was the, I thought about Bruce. I was like, that has got to be the way. And so I made the most honest, most sincere commitment. I made it to myself that at that moment, I would do whatever it took to be successful in real estate and that I would never give up. As long as it was legal and ethical, I would go to the ends of the earth. And I made it with such clarity. I remember leaving Edward Jones like Rocky. I was like, yes. Now that was that was like for five minutes, followed by sheer terror. Because yeah. I had to go tell my wife what I was going to go do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she supported me. And um, it's funny how all these things work out. But what I what I love about real estate is that there's so many options. Like even now, we have high interest rates. We just went through COVID, all these little different things, but I still got levers. I can still manipulate real estate by using my smarts, my intellect, understanding what's going on, and I can touch it and, and, and impact it that I can never do in that roller coaster stock market. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this episode. Are you ready to maximize your real estate investing to its full potential? Send me an email at andrew at jarrettcapital.com and take your life and business to all new levels. That's andrew at J-A-R-R ettcapital.com now that is a, a story and a reason it's a crazy story right like wolf you know, of wall street right that movie it is <laughs> man I, and what's funny is what i do now so but edward jones gave me such great training and it's the same skill set that i use in raising capital from investors um because i understand what what they were doing and i understand the difference between what we offer um, our investors, because um, it's got to be different. And real estate gives us such a wonderful opportunity to give investors what they want, which is a lot more consistency. They want income and they want some upside. They want some upside in the, in a, you know, in a back end or something like that. And the great thing about what we do is in real estate, we can give them both. Yep. That's actually a great, I, was, I had a question for you. So Robert Kiyosaki says the number one skill you can learn in life is sales. And being, you know, the car salesman and then the financial advisor, do you think that has kind of helped propel your success, you know, getting that skill? All of it. Yes. I mean, I mean, like, if I was to look back at my life and say, could I have done it better? Even though it was a weird road, you know, used car salesman to restaurant manager, even being a restaurant manager taught me how to manage a P&L, understand profit and loss, like, and watch everything to, to such a, I mean, restaurant management or risk restaurants run on such razor thin margins. Yeah. Right. And that's operations. That's ops for property management. Right. And so everything that has kind of like led me in my little, where I'm at today, um, all those experiences is, is what makes you a really good operator. And that's what I would call myself. I'm not a guru, even though I teach real estate and I've, and I've had a lot of success and uh, having students that have been successful, um, my biggest, I'm an operator. I, I know how to run properties, uh, run them profitably, and make sure that they that we execute to give our investors returns. That's that's my job. Yep. 
and now operations. I mean, as we're going through coming out of COVID right now, interest rates high, operations are extremely important. Survive to 25. Yeah. That is, that's the new, <laughs> uh, that's what everybody's telling me. It's like, it's really, it's like, it's about eliminating waste to make sure. And so we just, as a company, vertically integrated. This is something new that we did in this year. Um, I always said I would never th- um, be a property management company, that I would never have it. Um, I am changing that statement today, <laughs> right? I think 2023 will go down as the best decision I ever made was to vertically integrate and take over all our assets um, because we have control. We have control of our culture, um, our people, and we are creating this thing that people are thriving and they want leadership and they want vision. And it's, you know, a third party management company, they're just, they're not aligned to the profit and loss of an owner. They're fee-based. Everything is about fees. They could care less if if a property does well or not. They're still going to get their fee. Where on the other side, when we vertically integrated, it's all about profit and loss, P&L, N-O-I, net operating income. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that really tells the difference. And so um, now we're we're yoked properly, and it has made all the impact in our company and our business. Yeah, you're not the first one to say that either. I think a lot of people are switching to that strategy, having the same issues, you know? You have to, because it's just, it's, it's in the beginning, we hired a small, you know, regional player, right? But then they're, they're too small. So then we go and we hire a third party company that's really large, national. Well, they're too big. They're, they're too slow. There's all it comes with all these costs and fees. And you're like, wait a second, that's not what we talked about. Um, and so what you want is the best of both worlds. And so now you have to get to a certain size, I think, to make that move. Right. And so we, we've now hit that size and, and, and we, we, we shifted into gear and it was fairly easy to do. Now we had a little, we we're going to have some bumps along the way, but um, so does every company when they start out. Right. But our bumps are still with the eye on the prize, which is NOI profit make sure we're hitting the right, the right uh, tempo. And to me, that's everything. Yeah. What, what size about, would you say the shift kind of should happen at about? Man, I would say at around 2000 units, I think is the right number or doors. Like, so we have a lot of student housing, so it's beds for us. Right. But we have 10 active assets right now that um, the, the right answer is when it can pay for all the people that you need. Right. So you have got to have an accounting, you know, accounting team, you know, so that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, quite a few people. Right. It, just in that you have a controller, uh, you know, a staff accountant an accounts payable person. Those are three people you'd absolutely have to have. And then you have a regional, um, a controller on that or a, a COO and maybe, um, you know, a support staff um, on that. So. Those are kind of the all components that you'd have to have um, to be able to be effective in it. Yep. Yeah. Now, once you switch over uh, to apartments, how did that change your personal tax structure? Did you notice a little difference maybe in some savings? I've learned that it's not about what you make. It's about what you keep. Exactly. Uh, Corey Corey does not pay taxes anymore. I've not paid taxes in um, at least, you know, income tax in probably four or five years now 
Um, once I really learned the power of cost segregation, I didn't do stock cost, cost segregation when I first started, but I absolutely do it on every deal now. And um, gosh, what a blessing that is, um, you know, yeah. understanding the value of having tax rate. Now, here's what's funny. As you start getting wealthy, you start really surrounding yourself with, you should be surrounding yourself with better people that have better ideas and, and and your vision changes to where you're getting better information and free information is the most expensive information by the time, by the way, right? Sure. You want to pay for good information. <laughs> and so having good tax strategy, having a good CPA, that's not just a tax preparer, but an advisor that makes a big difference. Understanding cost segregation, how it works, working together with your team um, and saying, does it make sense to sell now? Or should I sell at the end of next year because I'm going to go buy these two things too as well? Like all that stuff now comes into play and we're, we're working on it on such a, a big macro level now that those things really do matter because you're talking about millions of dollars of depreciation. Oh, yeah. And when you get to share that with your investors too, that's a bonus, right? So everybody gets to win. Phasing it out now, it's 80%, right? This year instead of the full 100 yeah, but it's still but it's still there, right? Yeah. So that's just the bonus that you can bring up front. But even even with cost segregation with no bonus, right? 32 mm -hmm. and a half is what it normally is, right? Mm -hmm. Or 27 and a half for uh apartments. Mm -hmm. Well, just doing cost segregation is five, seven, and fifteen. So even just to be able to take the five, seven, and fifteen, because the majority of your depreciation is in the five year. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't talk about, right? Is recapture. Yeah. Recapture, guys. Listen, if you hold, if you had a $10 million depreciation schedule and $5 million of that is in five year assets, right? Meaning, and those are like your stoves, your appliances, all the things that are just, you hold that property for five years, that is $5 million that now the value is to zero. So there is no recapture on that 5 million. And that's it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't understand that, but if they really understood the power of it, um, it really is not fair, right? There's a reason Donald Trump didn't show his taxes, and I'm not saying Donald Trump's a great man or any of that stuff. I'm just saying because he doesn't pay taxes, right? And because he's using the tax code just like I'm using it as well, like all of us do. We want to, you know, we have a partnership with Uncle Sam till we die, mm -hmm. and. Um, there's this big tax code and the ones that learn how to master that you get to keep more of your money to put it to work so it can make you more money right they lay out for you in the tax code essentially yeah. what they want do the you. things that the government wants you get benefits so when you're raising money um for these deals do you take self-directed ira money or what's your you know strategy for that we take it all right so um all of it. I mean, we have uh, self-directed companies that we like to use. Uh, we can use anybody's like, and that's an, un most people don't even know that they can invest with their IRAs. That's a big education piece for us, right? Because they don't even know that they can unlock their, you know, a lot of people have like old 401ks sitting with an employer that they're not even at anymore. And they don't even know that they can take that money, um, transfer it to a self-directed IRA, and then actually invest in real real estate. And by the way, as a financial, when I was a financial advisor, if you told me that you wanted to do that, guess what I would say? I'd be oh, like, yeah. oh boy, yeah. that's risky. Yeah. That sounds really <laughs> risky. 
What about the reporting on that? I would start giving you all these other things. I'm like, listen, we got this real estate REIT that I can sell you, another paper asset, right? But like my job was to never let the money leave the house. And so you're, and by the way, there's a rule you can't sell away. So when brokers, broker dealers, right? This is like your, uh, your Merrill Lynch's and all that stuff. You can only sell what they broker, right? Meaning, guess what? They don't broker real estate. <laughs> so you couldn't even talk about it because you're not, they, it's not something they offer. That's and that's a rule, by the way, right? That's a that's a financial advisor rule for FINRA. You can't do that, and so that's why they don't talk about it. They just say it's risky. You shouldn't do it, um, and because they they really they have and they have they act like they're super smart about it, but I'm telling you, they have no idea on what they're talking about when it comes to real estate. Most of them don't. That's great. I think <laughs> shifting gears a bit is that you, I heard you have a kind of a, a story about a roller coaster ride from LOI to close that you might want to share. Yeah, for, for me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the whole roller coaster ride from LOI to close, it really is one of those things where um, when you start with an LOI, I mean that's to get deals today. It is very very hard, right? And so. Just to get to an LOI means you, the whole goal on that is you have to look at the needle. The job is to find needles in the haystack. Like that's our, my job as an operator is mm -hmm. to, to in the markets that we track, we try to look at about 92 to 95% of all the deals that come in the market. Right. That's a lot of underwriting. Mm -hmm. And um, most of these deals don't pencil, like it doesn't even make the first layer. Right. So then to get one, finally, like, you're like, Hey, I think this one makes sense. Let's go feel the jet. Let's go fly out there. Uh, and our job is to kill it. We we go out there trying to kill the deal. Now, the ones that survive, that's an LOI. You're like, oh, my God, I got this little fragile thing. And then you got to start working with the, uh, the seller, the broker to actually win that bid. And then winning the bid's only the first step because now we have to do a, a site inspection. Right. So now we're. You know, now we're spending money. People don't understand, like, how much money we spent up front. We don't even know if we got a real deal because. In that site inspection, we're doing a forensics audit on the financials, right? Then we're going to do a property um, inspection. So we're checking the plumbing, the HVA, you know, the roofs, uh, HVACs, all of it. Because we got, like, I always say there's Waldos. Where's Waldo? There's Waldos on every property. Yep. And all the people know where the Waldos at except for you. And so our goal is to uncover Waldos. And you do that by... Do you know having subs go look at the properties and then actually I call it my magic wand technique. Every time I have a deal or like I give this wand, I'm like, here, hold on, give it to the manager. It's like, here's the wand, it fixes anything. What are the top three things you're gonna fix? Right. And then they start talking like canaries, like, oh, all this stuff. You start learning all this stuff. And then you take the wand back, you know, then you give it back to the, the maintenance guy, right? But you got to give it a rule. They this doesn't fix ACs, okay. Now you give it back to him, Because right? every every maintenance guy is like, the ACs are all broke. No, you got to work on those things till they die. <laughs> but they start telling on uh, on the property. So you do all this work. Um, then you go under contract. And then now you're under contract. Um, and then you have to, you, sometimes you're like, hey, you didn't tell me about this thing. I found this thing. And so you got to renegotiate. And, you're, and it takes so much work to put it together. Um, and eventually, if you do it right, 
you get to close, right? And for us, if we close three to four times a year, that's an absolute win, right? That's all we're trying to do. And that really is, it is a roller coaster because it's not guaranteed. We've went all the way into uh, due diligence where um, we had this one property in, in Mississippi that um, we didn't know this at the time, but the manager was a big dog. Like she loved big dogs, right? And anybody that had a big dog, come on in, you should rent from us, oh, right? Now we didn't see this <laughs> on our first inspection, right? When we went, did a site visit. So now we're doing our full due diligence and there's 90% of big dogs in all units that wasn't in our business plan. And we found some pigs. <laughs> there was some swine. Some pig. pet okay. pigs <laughs> at the property. Only in Mississippi. But uh, anyways, we ended up having to walk away from that deal uh, because our rehab estimates went from, you know, this amount to like gargantuan because all the damage from the pets. And it just wasn't disclosed. And um, But... Some of the best deals you'll ever do, by the way, are the ones that you never do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No deal better than a bad deal. And, you know, those are my most proudest moments when I've walked away and I've had to eat some dollars. And, but I, I go away from that thinking, man, probably the best decisions I ever made is the one, those couple of deals that, that I've never done that I, that I walked away from. And, no one knows about those. Are, those are the, the things that we never talk about. You know, everyone wants to talk about your wins, but no one ever wants to talk about the dirt or how many times you've stubbed your toe. Have we lost money, right? Um, we've not lost investors' money. We've done bad deals where we had to, we barely got all their money back to them and actually had to come out of pocket. But it's real estate. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than the alternative. Right. And um, I think that's that's the biggest story here is that, with real estate, you actually have some control and some levers. Now, right? I guess I probably know your uh, your answer to this, but if someone's starting out and they want to generate their first passive income stream, what would you suggest to somebody? Well, I would tell you to learn the the how to raise capital, right? Um, looking back, some of my single family, I have a lot of single family friends, right? And, and they've done very well. They've done very, very well. But the reason I have a lot more zeros on my net worth than they do, right, and it's a significant chasm, is because I learned how to raise capital. That is the one skill set that I learned to master, and it's just different. Raising money, it's not very comfortable for people to talk about money um, or to, you know, because we're all, a lot. most of us were raised, you know, talking about money. Yeah, taboo. But, <laughs> but, I, but I find that rich and wealthy people talk about money all the time. And I talk about money all the time now, right? Because I, I love talking about money. And um, and you learn how to command it, right? And so, and money snowballs, by the way. Money is always looking for ways and, and operators and people that can put it to work and give it a better return than the roller coaster. And so that's what smart money does, right? And so you can position yourself um, in a way that you start, um, and it's baby steps, you know, I didn't do my first deal. Uh, the reason I was able to go to an apartment so quickly and do a big deal is because I did a lot of single family fix and flips and I had developed a pool of investors that was, you know, that, and so it made an easy transition for me. Now, Corey, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? So I would love, if you guys would allow me, I would love to give everybody my book for free, Copy Your Way to Success, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. 
All you got to do is text the word book, B-O-O-K, to 480-500-1127. So 480-500-1127. Text the word book, and I'll send you a copy of it for free. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And then you can also look at us uh, for the Multifamily Legacy Podcast, where we talk about how to buy uh, apartments. Cool. Now, last question before we get into our five to thrive. If you could step into our shoes for this interview, what's one question you'd ask yourself that we did not ask you? Um, tell me about a deal that didn't go so good. <laughs> right? Yeah. Usually we ask that one too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I'll give you the quick answer is the first, the second deal that I ever did, the first one I did a home run on, second one I thought it was so great, right? I was like, I bought a, a property in uh, Tucson. Now that's only an hour and a half away from me. But I hired this the same management company that I was using on my property in South Carolina, which is based out of Atlanta, to manage it. And that was that didn't work so well. Um, <laughs> it was too far. Okay. Um, then my second mistake was I fired them and then I said I could do it. So I self-managed. I didn't have all the structure that I have now, right? So um, that was even worse. I finally hired the right management company in uh, in Tucson. And in three months, they, they fixed and ride the ship. But it was two years later. And so we just sold it and um, we got just enough money, a little bit less. I had come out of pocket around $600,000 to make all my investors whole. But so we got all their principal back to them, but they didn't really didn't make any interest. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was a lesson. Now, here's the thing. I should have just kept it. I should have kept all my investors and, and their money and in the deal. And if I would have rode that out for another three years, like our plan was, oh my God, because market and real estate, that was in 2011 when I bought that, right? So that was like, throw a dart, anything that you did was going to win. I just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> That's one of the sayings, right? Real estate, time heals all wounds with it, especially yeah. cash flow and rentals. If you hold it long enough, it always seems to work out. Yeah. Yep. All right. So our five to thrive. So this is the word association game. Okay. So I'll just rattle off five words, kind of rapid fire. Just give the first word, phrase, sentence that comes to mind. The only thing is you can't repeat your answer. Okay. All right. So first one, legacy wealth. Lifestyle. Raising capital. It's what I do. <laughs> Challenges. A journey worth taking. Mentor. The key to success. And Kahuna Investments. Something near and dear to my heart. I like it. Good answers. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate you coming on, Corey. It's been awesome. Those are great. Those are all my words, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> cool. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Corey.